0: Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read verses 7 and 8. This is probably a familiar passage to you, but it's what the Lord put on my heart this morning. 2 Timothy 1, verses 7 and 8. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now what he says in verse 7, right at the beginning, God had not given us the spirit of fear. And I want us to talk about this this morning. It's very important that we as believers, that we as born again, men and women and young people of God, that we know what spirit we are that God has given us, that we've received in Jesus Christ from the Lord, and what spirit we are not of. What spirit we are of, and what spirit we are not of. And as believers, we're born of God. We're born of the Spirit of God. We talk about being born again. Jesus said you must be born again. All the things you must do, the most important thing you must do in life, you got, you hear people say, all you got, all we really have to do is die and pay taxes. Well... Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again, or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Coming to church doesn't make you born again. Growing up in a Christian family doesn't make you born again. Being born again makes you born again. It's giving our life to Jesus individually, calling upon the Lord. that blinders have come off. At least to the extent where we can call upon Jesus, knowing that we're sinners and He's the Savior. And what He did on the cross 2,000 years ago is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, dying and rising again the third day, as He prophesied and all the prophets said He would do, that He accomplished that salvation for me. And I have to give my life to Christ in order to benefit from that, to truly be saved. You must be born again. And we need to know that we're born of the Spirit of God. If you're saved, it's not just because you decided to join the church. We're saved. We're born again. We're born of God's Spirit, the eternal Spirit of Almighty God. Of has to do with origin. Okay? Of has to do with origin. We're born of God. Born of His Spirit. He begat us. Not only did He create us, but He begat us or birthed us again spiritually in the new birth whenever we gave our life to Jesus Christ. Do you remember that day when you gave your life to the Lord? Well, that was your second birthday. That was your real birthday, and you were born again of the Spirit of God. And this is what Jesus came to do. He came to make men know this, that realize that, that he's the savior of the world, and you must be born again. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and he said, You are of your father, of your father, the devil. Wow, is that being critical and he being a little harsh? No, he's the Lord. He knows what he's talking about. They were still they were of the devil in their mindset. Doesn't mean they couldn't be saved. It means that the way that they were right then, he rebuked them on one occasion and said, You are of your father, the devil, and the works of your father you will do. Okay, of has to do with origin. Now I want you to turn with me. We're going to read a passage on this in Luke chapter 9. We're talking about what spirit we are of as believers and what spirit we are not of. Luke chapter 9. Interesting story. Jesus is traveling. He's going to pass through Samaria on his way. I remember, the Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with each other. There, the Samaritans were sort of like a, a sect that was uh, long ago. I think way back in Jeroboam and Rehoboam's day when the, the kingdom of Israel was divided. The Samaritans became uh, followers of their, of their own makeshift Type of Judaism, it wasn't even true to Judaism. Now we know that Judaism had become perverted as well, but but in Samaria, the Samaritans had followed a whole other plan that wasn't even uh, at all true to Judaism. But let's pick up here: Jesus passing through in his in his day when he was on this earth, verse fifty-two, and he says, "He sent messengers before his face that they." And they went and entered into a village of Samaria to make ready for him. Maybe he was going to spend the night. Maybe he was going to stay there. His journey was going to take him back to Jerusalem. But right here, he's passing through Samaria. And he wanted some people to go make some preparations for him there. And listen, when he went through to Samaria, it says they did not receive him because his face was as though it would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So that what it says here, uh, manner of spirit. Okay, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. That means sort or kind. Okay, and it's the same thing in Genesis one where God's creating everything. You know, God's a God of order and he's not just chaos. Even in the church and in creation and everything you pick, there's an order to it. It's a God's way of ordering. It may not make sense to us. And then we begin to see the sense of it. But God makes things in an order. And in Genesis 1, 1, on the third day of creation, you don't have to turn there. 1, 11, I'm sorry. Third day of creation. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. Whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And so this was the same for all the days of creation, the things that we where he brought forth the fish and the birds and the, the walking creatures on the earth. And finally, man, to bring forth after his kind. God is a God of order. And things are to beget. Life is going to beget, beget similar life after its kind, sort, manner. And um, same for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It's a working of God's Spirit. We'll talk about this more as we go. But James and John on this occasion, what we just read in Luke, James and John, uh, they loved the Lord. They were devoted to the Lord. Okay, they were zealous for His sake. He would say, obviously, they were on the Lord's side. These Samaritans didn't receive their Lord and Master. Didn't receive the Son of God when He came. And they're like indignant for His sake. They were zealous for the Lord. Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume these Samaritans like Elijah did. And so they were very zealous for the Lord, committed to the Lord, but the Bible says we're not to have zeal without knowledge. For zealous with, with zeal, we need to have knowledge that goes with that, or we'll be all over the place, right? Cause all kinds of problems. In this situation, they were very zealous for the Lord and committed to Christ, I would say, but they were dead wrong. What were they wrong on? They were wrong in this situation. They were wrong in their understanding of Christ's ministry and why He came to the earth to seek and save the lost. They were wrong in their idea of how to handle the situation. How do we think about this? What should we do about this? They were wrong. They were wrong in their assessment about what the Lord would have them to do. They thought for sure He'd say, yeah, do that. Call down fire from heaven and consume them. And same thing in our lives, y'all. And in church world, if we don't know what manner of spirit we're of, we're of what kind of spirit, it's going to affect everything else about our lives. And here, uh, you know, you'll see Christians that, for example, their whole purpose in life is, is to stop what they think are social injustices. That's getting big and bigger in our day. And it's taken away from the true calling of God, which is to be... Salt and light, which is to preach this gospel to all creatures going into every world. He that believes in it is baptized will be saved and he that believes not shall be damned. Go into all the world and preach this gospel. And it's somehow morphed into go and help all the suffering. Is there anything wrong with helping suffering? No, not at all. But that suffering is going to continue. The Lord said, you'll always have the poor with you. The suffering will continue. The only one who can change that is that individual hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, and being saved. I'm not saying we shouldn't help people, but it ought to be—it ought to be as a token of the love of God to bring them to Christ. Because if we're bringing them, feeding their bellies, and they're dying and going to hell, did we really do them any good? You think they'll be in hell saying, "Boy, I'm sure thankful they gave me that meal uh, 50,000 years ago." No, they're going to be saying, "Why didn't they, if they knew Jesus? Why didn't they tell me about Jesus? I'm suffering now," and so not knowing what manner of spirit we are can get us off on everything else. There are people that think the whole mission of the church is to do r- relieve physical suffering, when that would be a byproduct of knowing Christ and bringing this gospel into the world. That's a secondary, not a primary. Not even close to being a primary. And so, what was here? What do we see happening here? These two disciples of the Lord were committed to the Lord, but they were wrong. They didn't understand. And Jesus rebuked them, didn't He? It says in in verse 55. Look at it again. But He turned and rebuked them. You know what? Being rebuked by the Lord is not a bad thing. It's not bad in the sense if we glean from it, if we learn from it, the Bible says whom he loves, he chastens. So many people are afraid that of anything that's correcting in their life. Any corrective measures that are taken. You know, we have a little uh, baby I'm, uh, here today. Glad he's here today. Uh, uh, the parents have to correct him. He can't just do whatever he wants. Not if he's going to learn. They love him. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and corrects and scourges everyone that's brought to him. It's proof, the Bible says. Evidence. They were loved by God. And they actually belong to the Lord because I'm not correcting your children. They don't belong to me. It says if we're not chasing the it's proof, we were illegitimate. We don't really belong to the Lord, but whom he does love, he chastens. So he turns to these two disciples and rebuke them, but he rebuked them in love. We can do rebuke, reproof. Uh, correction, instruction according to the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit in a way that is Christ-like, that is beneficial. Then it's up to the hearer. If it's me that's the hearer of the rebuke or you that's the hearer of the rebuke, then we have to receive it in, in, a, in a way that actually helps me. If I buck against it, fight against it, and rebel against it, it's not going to do me any good. It's fallen on deaf ears. And guess what? If I rebuke godly correction in my life, whether it comes from a little child or someone older than me or a peer, if it's godly correction that's brought to my life and I refuse it, then my heart will get harder and it will be harder to correct me the next time. That's a dangerous place to be. But that's not even what this sermon's about. That was just extra, okay? But they, he turns and rebukes them and he pointed out that they were wrong, but specifically, what did he say? He immediately pointed out their lack of understanding about what? They're understanding you know not what manner, what sort, what type of spirit you are of. Remember, of has to do with origin. It's interesting that this is what he said. He didn't say, No, are you crazy? He didn't what what he just said you rebuked you. You don't know what manner of spirit you are of. It's essential that the people of God, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, know what spirit we are of or we are not of. As I said, ignorance on this. Is going to affect how we think, how we act, how we preach, how we witness, how we correct, how we withhold correction, how we serve God. Uh, Ignorance on this can affect the Lord's testimony in our church, in our lives, because I'm thinking I'm acting like a Christian and I'm really not acting like a Christian. You understand what I'm saying? What if Peter, I mean, James and John, what if they had called down fire from heaven? What if they just looked at each other and said, yep. This is what God would have us to do. You know, just like Elijah did. He was zealous for the Lord. Well, God told Elijah to call down fire from heaven. You understand what I'm saying? And here, uh, if they had just done that, that would have done great damage to the Lord's testimony, to the Lord's ministry. And so he rebuked them. What if they called down fire and they consumed a group of Samaritans right there in the middle of the day on the streets there because they didn't receive Jesus Christ. And then they turn around and say, we're of God. We represent God. James and John saying this. They didn't do that, praise God. We're acting on His behalf. But they were not, right? You don't know what manner of spirit you're of. And then he tells them, the Son of Man didn't come to destroy lives. Could He call down fire? Yes, is he going to call down fire in the tribulation period, or the end of the tri- uh, millennium, and consume uh, Satan and all those that align themselves with him in that last battle? Yes, he is. He can do that. There are times for that, but that's according to his will. He was rebuking them here, and and said, "You don't know what manner of spirit you're of." The Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And obviously, they received this right. They didn't, leave, they didn't quit following Jesus. They didn't get their feelings hurt and pout. They didn't call down fire from heaven, obviously. They went to another village and walked with the Lord. But I just think it's, it's so important uh, that we understand as Christians who and what we are of and what is being called of God and born of God, what we're called to, to be on this earth, how we're called to live. Missing it here is going to affect everything in our lives. So let's look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to spend a little time in some passages here, but right now I want to start in Romans 8, 11, and 12. You and I, y'all, if we're born again, then I said we're, we're saved men, women, and children. We're all born of God's Spirit. Romans eight, eleven. But if the Spirit of Him that raised Jesus from the dead My Bible has a capital S every time it talks about the Holy Spirit. And that's what it has here. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. So once again, what spirit are you of? If we're born of his spirit, his spirit lives in us. And since I'm born of the spirit of almighty God by faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, that I'm not a debtor to live after the flesh like I was living before. But I'm to live after that spirit that I'm born of. The Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We hear that thrown around all the time in unchristian ways. Oh, the body's the temple, the body's the temple. And they don't even know what they're talking about. The Bible says your your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God and you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, and your spirit, which are God's. In other words, God's possession. We belong to him. Glorify because we're born of His spirit. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. As believers, a lost person's body is not the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, A saved person, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not our own. Therefore, now there's a therefore to the fact that I'm born again, and my body is His temple. Therefore, glorify God. James and John calling down fire on some other instance, if God had called them to, would have been glorifying to the Lord. Here, it would not have been. They needed to know uh, what he, he had called them to do. We are not of the world. We're not of the spirit of the world. Okay, and so uh, the Bible says that we're born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Okay, that's 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 the born again life and how we're born again. So let's keep reading. Skip down to verse 13. And we're going to read through verse 16. For if we live after the flesh, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you through the spirit, again, that's the Holy Spirit. Do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Here's our key verse right here, verse 15. For ye have not received the Spirit, little s there, right? In my Bible anyway. You have not received the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father." The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So verse fifteen, let's read it again, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry Abba Father. And it the Bible says there that what, what fear is he talking about? We now that we're born again. You know, people the Bible says all our lifetime, it says in Hebrews, I think, chapter two, that Men, just natural men. All our lifetimes we were subject to bondage. And there's a fear that goes with that. There's a fear of dying. There's a fear of not being right with God. And the words may never come out of a sinner's mouth. But they go through life with this knowing that there's not, there is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked, right? It's there, like the, the sea that's turning up dirt all the time. And so there's a fear that comes with not knowing Jesus. There's a fear that comes and you can shove it off and some people can can turn to alcohol, turn to friends, turn to entertainment, turn to other things, money, whatever to occupy their minds so they don't think about that fear of not being right with God. They might not even put their finger on it, but they know in their heart that I'm not right. They're afraid of dying. They're afraid of dying the way that they are. And so there's a fear that comes with that. And the Bible says, but in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so that condemnation and the guilt, when we come to Christ, it's we're forgiven. It's an amazing thing. We, just, just a few weeks ago, I preached on two sermons on being forgiven and the last one was the joy of being forgiven. The joy that it brings. The woman that wept at the feet of Jesus, right? And, and washed his feet with her tears and dried them with the hairs of her head and poured this ointment, this expensive perfume upon his head. Didn't care what the people sitting around thought. She, you know what? She was overjoyed. I don't have the right words that he turned and said, your sins are forgiven. The joy that that brought. And there's not a there's a freedom. And there's a liberty. And there's a... A removal of fear. That's the fear that he's talking about. In verse 15, you have not received from the Lord, when we're born again, the spirit of bondage again to fear. We're not going back to that as believers. That fear of not being forgiven. That fear of not being right with God. That fear of maybe, can I do enough good works to please God? That fear of, of what if He doesn't accept me when I die? All, that, all that's gone by true faith in Jesus Christ. That is the spirit of fear again to bondage, bondage again to fear. And we've been set free from that. And it goes with the scripture that we open with. God has not given us the spirit of fear. That is not from the Lord. I want to define the word fear because we've used it twice. We use it in Romans 8.15 and 2 Timothy 1.7. That word fear means cowardice, timidity, fearful. And, and one that might surprise us all, one of the definitions of fear here is faithless. Faithless. Now how in Revelation when uh, chapter 21, who's not going to be part of that holy city, that New Jerusalem, it says the first ones that are mentioned are, is not going to be there are the fearful and unbelieving. That always has astounded me. I think the first ones would be The murderers, the idolaters, the satanists, and you know, fill in the blanks of all the the terrible things. The first one the Lord mentions, they won't be part of this eternal glorious state. They were never redeemed. They weren't Old Testament saints or New Testament saints. They died in their sin. But it says the fearful and the unbelieving, and these. uh, This is not. Honoring to God is timidity, it's fearful, it's faithless, it's cowardice, and that's not from the Lord. Only fear that you and I are to have. You might be afraid if it's something in your family not going to work out. You might be afraid of something your job's not going to work out. It's just not adding up on paper. We don't have enough money to, to do this. We might be fearful of a lot of different things. That is not from the Lord. The only fear that we are to have that we must have is a healthy, holy, biblical fear of Almighty God. That's a sermon for another day. But I'm just telling you that Jesus said, don't fear him who could destroy the body, but not the soul. He has no power afterwards beyond that. Don't fear that one. That could be the devil if the Lord allows it. That could be men, right? If the Lord allows it, don't fear that. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear him who can destroy the body and, and soul and hell. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. Who we're the only one that we're to fear. So if I have a fear just in life, that just deep down kind of abiding, just kind of afraid. You don't even know why sometimes. You just you live just on the edge of a little fear that things aren't going to work out right, that there's going to be an impending disaster coming soon i've been that way before too you can't really put your finger on it it's like what am i so worried about what am i so afraid about and just fearful and you can't even say what am i afraid of just fear that something's going to go terribly wrong and it's going to be horrible well what if it does we can't change it right jesus says what's with you by taking thought can change you know add one cubit to your stature why do you take thought for tomorrow? Tomorrow going to take care of the things of itself. Trust God. Believe in God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That type of fear is not from the Lord. I'm not saying that human beings and even as saved human beings, we can be prone to that. So I'm not mocking that. I'm simply saying that that is not from the Lord. That's not what Christ has given us and what we have received from the Lord. It's not what he's made us and is making us. In Christ Jesus. He's not making us fearful, timid, unbelieving. Amen? Listen to this scripture, and I'll just read it to you. 1 John 4 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, and that is speaking of God's love. I'm not just talking about these two people love each other, okay? Or I love my country or something like that. There is no fear in love, but perfect love. That's agape love. You look it up, that is the word that's used here. God's love for us. Cast out all fear. Cast out what? All fear. Other than a healthy fear of the Lord. Okay? But His perfect love for us. And me believing in Christ. And knowing the Lord. And walk with the Lord. Cast out all fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Well, He wants us to be made perfect in love. And so... Uh, it's important the people of God, the people of Christ that are born of His Spirit are to have boldness, not the spirit of fear, we're to have boldness, confidence in our standing in the Lord. This to me is the fear that's been cast out. I think it's, it's all that that we talk about, worrying and fretting about earthly things. But I think primarily when it's talking about He's not giving us the spirit of bondage again to fear. And I think it's the fear of not knowing if you're right with God the fear of sin and its consequences. How how will I be justified? How am I going to make it to heaven? Those type of things. Uh, But we are to have confidence in the Lord if we are born again, that confidence in my standing in the Lord. I'm safe. I'm saved. I'm accepted in the blood. I need to go to the Word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And let me ask you this. I'm not asking for a show of hands. Since you've been born again, have you ever had an inkling of a doubt that you were lost. Like, maybe, maybe I'm not saved. I have before. But certainly, is that how we're to live? Should we get up every day and wonder if we're saved? If we really are saved? We should, we should have that confidence and the reassurance from the Word of God and the Spirit itself. Verse 16, bears witness with our spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in us, bears witness with man's spirit, my spirit, that we are the children of God. And so we we need to know that, that we're safe, we're saved, we're justified fully by His grace, and so forth. And so the, we're also to be hopeful or hope-filled, I would put it, in the Lord and the promises of God. And again, this is not an arrogance. Instead of saying, oh, I'm not afraid of nothing, you know? Just, I'm not afraid of anything. What was it in the Wizard of Oz that the, the lion wanted courage, right? Because they're supposed to be so courageous and he was not... Um, the that's not an arrogance that we're not afraid. That's that's an abiding peace that God gives us. That's real. You know, it's like Moses standing between a sea and the Egyptian army, and Pharaoh's army is coming. He cried out to the Lord, and God told him what to do. I don't think he was uh, overwhelmed with fear. I think that. God gave him a peace. I don't think it's an arrogance. I think it's a it's a trusting in the Lord. Our confidence in the Lord. Now the Bible says we are of his spirit. Well, what's Christ's spirit? I'm reading this from uh, Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. That's speaking about Jesus at his first coming. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, upon Christ. And it gives a description of the Spirit of the Lord. I don't know if this is a complete description or a partial description. But it says the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him, Jesus, when He comes. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Well, that was the Spirit that came upon Christ. That rested upon Him and abode upon Him. Didn't come and go. And if we're born again, that's the Spirit that we are of. That spirit, okay? And we're not given us or bestowed upon us the spirit of fear. And I'm going I'm to try to start bringing this to a close. Is that I need to know this by faith, what spirit I am of and what I am not of. And we are not of the spirit of fear, timidity, cowardice, faithlessness, fearful. That's not what God has given us. I might be prone to it, But it's not from the Lord. It's not what He's making me. It's not what He wants to make me in Christ. Okay? What He he has given us, this goes back to 2 Timothy 1.7, power, love, and a sound mind, right? We hear that all the time. We quote it here very often. Power. I want to go over these just very quickly. Power, love, and a sound mind. What He has given us. Not fear. That's over here. Perfect love. Cast that out. Follow God in His love. All right? But he has given me the spirit of power. That is the word that's used so often in the New Testament for power. uh, It's dunamis. And like in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, right? Where it says, uh, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Tarry till you're endued with power from on high. Same word here. Okay? Dunamis power. What does it mean? Uh, it means inerrant power. It means power to re- reproduce itself. Miraculous power. Power, think about that, to re- reproduce itself. And so, I've thought about this often. I've spoken of it before. One of the things, anytime somebody is born of God, truly born of God, we are going to be, little by little, God's working in us to do what? To conform us to the image of His Son. I already saved. His Spirit lives inside of me, but I just got saved yesterday, for example. It's going to take a little time for fruit to bear. But without question, my life will bear fruit. If I abide in Him and His Word abide in me, the Holy Spirit's working in me, there will be this power to make me after the likeness of Christ. I'm not mimicking Him. It's a real... something that's produced in me by the Holy Spirit. They were first called Christians in Antioch, not by themselves. Christians mean little Christ. They were first called little Christ by unbelievers that watched them, watched their lives, how they loved and how they acted and how they were holy and separated and worshiped God and feared God and believed the Bible and so forth. And so that is a working of the Lord, power to reproduce after its kind. So somebody you would go witness to, you lead your brother to the Lord and they get saved. Guess what? Your brother's going to be just like you. Might look different, okay? Live in a different city. Personality might be a little different. Might be two inches taller, two inches shorter. You know, 100 pounds heavier. Whatever. But they're going to be like you. Those essential qualities and traits of the Lord. It's a working of the Holy Spirit. A Christian today should not be any different than the Christians in the book of Acts. We should not be. We should be just like those people, and because we're born of the same spirit, if we're plain church and plain Christian, and we're really not that, then that's a different story. But if we're really born of God and are walking with the Lord, it will be exactly the same, exactly the same, and our our convictions and our love for God and our worship to the Lord and what's right, what's wrong, how we judge things, how and so forth, how we love. That would be the same because it's power to reproduce itself. He's also given the spirit of love. That, again, is agape love. He hasn't given the spirit of fear, but power, love, and it is agape. That's the word that's used in 2 Timothy 1.7 as well. It means divine love, the love of God for us, God's love that originates with God. You know, we're in Sunday school. We're studying the attributes of God. We haven't gotten to this one yet, but we're going to get to the love of God. Love, true, this, this kind of love, inerrant love, it, it, it's, you've heard of unconditional love before. Agape love is the Greek word. That's, that is contained in Christ. That, you don't find that somewhere else. You won't find that in Hinduism or a Buddhist monk or in Islam or a good old boy who give you the shirt off of his back kind of thing. That can be phileo love, which is brotherly love and all those type of other kinds of love. But this type of love that's mentioned there, agape, it has its source and origin in God. But if you are born of his spirit, then the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, in men's hearts. By the word, by the power of God, by the Holy Ghost, the love of God, that's the only way you're going to get it. Somebody's envious and they wish they loved like the disciples loved each other and, the, and, and wish they loved God like you and I loved God and the lost person is going to try it. They can't do it. They can mimic certain things. But that comes from God. And it's that love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. It is a working of His Spirit. And so this is what He's given us. Power. Love. And... and uh, Charity suffers long. It's kind. It envies not. It vaunts not itself. It's not puffed up. It's a little description from 1 Corinthians 13, uh, chapter 13. And he's given us the spirit of a sound mind. What does that mean, a sound mind? Uh, The Bible tells us, and, and you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 2 16, we have the mind of Christ, first of all. We have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? I mean, it's, it's by the Spirit of God as well. And then we're told to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, right? Philippians 2. And so there's a meekness and humility, laying down his life even to death, obedient to death, even to death on the cross. Let this mind, we have the mind of Christ, number one, as born again people, and we're to let this mind or allow that mind to function in us, to dominate, to reign and rule uh, with the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Let that mind be in you. Okay? I can kick it to the side. Too many times, and I care more than I care to mention, I know I have the mind of Christ as a believer, but I haven't made decisions or acted or reacted with the mind of Christ. I've not let the mind of Christ be in me at certain situations, although I have the mind of Christ. You understand my point? We're to let that, but what does it mean, sound mind? Sound mind means sober, disciplined, self-control and we're to let that mind be in us sober discipline self-control I say it often it seems like in our day and age that discipline is almost like a curse word (laughs) in the church people don't want to hear about discipline we don't see it in the schools it trickles down I think it starts with the church believe it or not and goes out instead of the other way And and, and there's not a disciplined mind. There's not a disciplined attitude. There's not discipline in in the pew. And there's not discipline in the pulpit. Uh, And it it, it carries on to these other things. But it means self-control. And I'll tell you this. No matter what our circumstances are. No matter how adverse they may be. Contrary they they may be in our lives as believers. We're not to act rashly. We're not to act foolishly. We're to use wisdom. We're to use godly judgment. We're to be self-controlled by the, by the power of the Holy Ghost in us because that is what He's given us. Power, love, and a sound mind. It means disciplined. self control Okay? Sober. And I'll, I'll be bringing this to a close. But as believers, we do get troubled. We do get anxious. Don't we? Be lying if we said we didn't. We do get fearful about things, but that is not how we're to live. I've sinned as a believer too, but that doesn't mean that's how I'm to live, right? And so God is working in us, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. David said, what time I am afraid, not if I'm afraid, what time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. Where does it come from? If that spirit of fear did not come from God, and I'm born again, and I'm born of His Spirit, where did that fear come from? It may be an irrational fear, whatever. Fear of the future, it comes in my life. It didn't come from the Lord. You know where it arises from? Unbelief. It arises from, in that thing, I'm not trusting God. I trust God from, with number problems 1 through 99 in my life. But for problem 100, I just can't trust God for that. Maybe because you haven't seen it answered yet. Okay? Maybe because you pray so many times and you say, I guess God just doesn't want to do it for me. Whatever, and then we fear. But I can tell you this, that the fear arises in my own life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The fear arises when we, when we doubt the Lord or we doubt His promises, we doubt His character, we doubt His goodness. Maybe we don't have a specific promise from the Bible for what we're praying for. But we do know He says He's good and He does good. Right? God is good, and He does good. His mercy endures forever. We could go on and on about the, the qualities of God. And I fear when I begin to doubt the Lord. When I take my eyes off of the Lord. Now, what am I told to do in Hebrews 12? I'm going to run the race set before me looking... Unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. So if it's a race, I started the day I got saved. It ends the day he calls me home. Faith will end in sight when I see him face to face. But between here and there, however long that is, I'm not ever to take a glance away from the Lord. I'm talking about a, a glance of faith, trusting in God. Because when I do, that's where the fear comes in. It doesn't take long, does it? It comes rolling in. And the longer we stay there, the more fearful we get. Got to come back. I got to get my eyes back on the Lord Jesus. I got to read his word. I got to get back on my knees before the Lord. The new creature, the born again person, has unlimited strength and power basically at our disposal because of the Lord. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to what the power, that's dunamis, that works in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen, is what He says. Our enemy wants to cripple us with fear. Our enemy wants to cripple us with fear. Fear uh, does cripple people, doesn't it? Why didn't you ever try? You said you always wanted to do this and now you're an old man and you never tried it. Why didn't you? I guess I was just afraid to ever try. You know, just even in a natural sense. Afraid of failing so I never tried. Well, you sure failed now because you're too old to even try, you know, whatever it may be um, that Satan wants to cripple us with fear. But the Lord says, don't be afraid. Right. I'm with you. Fear not. You need to be dismayed. He told Joshua, he told Jeremiah when he sent him to, as a young man to be a prophet to, to uh, Judah. And preach the truth to them about the coming judgment. He wasn't going to be a popular guy. And he wasn't. He was thrown in prison a couple of times. He says, don't be afraid of their faces. Right off the bat. I know you're a child. Don't say to me you're a child. I made your mouth. I've ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and ordained you for this. Don't be afraid of their faces. Well, the fear comes when we doubt what God says. We take our eyes off the Lord, that look of faith to the Lord. And i share this, uh, Ari Torrey was preaching one time at a big conference, and a, a Christian he had known from years past, all of a sudden he saw him at the front row of one of his meetings, and he's watching him the whole time he's preaching, and the guy's just uh, troubled. Have you ever seen somebody that's just fearful and troubled, and they're not settled, and they have no peace? He came up to him afterwards and says, What's wrong? Have you taken your eyes off the Savior? And, and really, that was it. He had taken his eyes off the Savior, and he was fearful. And th- that, that's where it comes. And so, God hasn't given us that, y'all. And I want you to turn back to Second Timothy. We're going to close here. We read 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8. But I want us to back up and read verse 6. So Paul's telling Timothy, now what, what point is Paul's life? He's in prison in Rome. It's the last epistle that he wrote, last things that we know of that he wrote on earth. And he's charging his young disciple, Timothy, who's the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he's leaving him with some important thoughts. He says, Wherefore I, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou, therefore, ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Paul was about to be executed. He knew he was. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. I do get fearful at times. So do you as believers. But that should be less and less and more and more should we be walking in the spirit that he's given us. That doesn't does not come from the Lord. No way, shape, or form. Just this unirrational fear, or even fear that we think is rational, it's not a fear of God. It didn't come from the Lord. And he maybe Timothy was getting fearful. I put you in remembrance, stir up the gift that's in you. You have a gift that was laid on when we laid our hands on you that you received. Maybe the gift of the Holy Ghost. Maybe it was that and the calling of God upon his life to be a pastor. We don't know exactly. But stir it up. You know what stir up means? It gives the idea uh, in verse 6 to keep stirring up. That's that's why we don't come to church once and then I'll say I'll see you again in heaven. We come to church, we'll be back tonight in prayer because we're stirring that up. It means to rekindle a fire. Stir it means continually. The definition of the word stir up the gift that's in you, Timothy, because he was tending to be afraid. Don't be ashamed of me. I'm, I'm about to be beheaded. I'm about to be martyr for the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner uh, or the Lord or his, the testimony of the gospel. You remember that gift that was given you? Stir it up. Okay? It means keep stirring it up. Keep stirring it up. To rekindle a fire or a flame by adding fuel to it. Well, how do we do that as believers? It's my last thought for the day. You can come up. How do I rekindle that thought in me as a believer. Not just the thought, but that Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I have to remind, it's not enough just to quote this verse. God hasn't given me the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. That helps. And I need to quote it. But y'all, if I'm adding fuel to the fire, uh, the fire feeds on what? It feeds It feeds on wood, okay, or combustible things. And that Holy Ghost fire in us is going to feed on the Lord. You have to feast upon Jesus. I am the bread of heaven. I'm the bread of life. If any man you know, eats of the bread, this bread, he'll never die. We have to feast upon the Lord. But coming to church, this is part of the feast, okay? Because we're being fed the Word of God. We're being fed these beautiful songs that glorify God and so forth. But I have to feast upon the Lord. If I'm going to stir up that gift within me uh, and keep it, stirring it up, That means a practice or a habit of feasting on Christ, feasting on His Word. Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith in the Lord and the increasing faith in the Lord is the answer to the timidity and the cowardice and the fearfulness and the unbelieving. That's the answer and the only answer. And we need to know that. We need to walk in that. And so uh, I read a quote in one Minister said believers can serve valiantly, endure patiently, suffer triumphantly, if need be, die gloriously. It's because we're born of His Spirit. It's not because we're really brave. You understand that? It's not just because I'm extra brave. Uh, Because all of us. Get afraid at times, and all of us would be afraid of hell if that was facing us, or sin, or the devil, if he appeared to us. And we would be afraid of all these things. But the, it's not the spirit we're of. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We have—he has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given me the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind to every believer. That's what he's given me, and I'm closing with this thought: when Peter and John were. Brought before the religious council twice in Acts chapter four and chapter five. First time they were threatened. The second time they were threatened and beaten and turned loose. For the first time it says when when they now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marvelled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. It wasn't just a natural boldness in Peter. It was a boldness of the Holy Ghost and Peter and John. They're ignorant. They're not educated. They're unlearned. They're blue-collar fishermen and workers, and yet they're confounding the wise. And they're not backing down. Well, those just two special men. Well, I think they were special, but I don't think that was their strength, that they were special men. The fact was they had been with Jesus. They took knowledge. Lost men, their persecutors, took knowledge and said, the only answer to this kind of boldness that they have. They're not crazy. They're not out of their minds. Their only answer was, and they were right, they've been with Jesus. That's the answer for you and me. We need to be with the Lord. Being in church doesn't do it. It's part of it. But it's being with the Lord. 365 days. Being with the Lord more than we're not with the Lord, if that makes sense. Increasing our intimacy and our fellowship with our abiding in Christ. And all the wonderful saints of God that we read about in the Bible and all the wonderful saints of God we read about since the Bible. And I read about George Mueller and I go, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I'm not one one thousandth of the man that he was. How he accomplished what he did in his life. The way that they accomplished what they did in their lives is they got less and less attached to the world and more and more in the presence of God. And they didn't have a fear to step out and do what God called them to do. They didn't have a fear to dream big, to pray big, to ask big. It's going to come as we abide with the Lord. It took knowledge that these two men had been with the Lord. We're still talking about Peter and John today, not the religious council. We're talking about Peter and John, the fishermen, because they had been with the Lord. And I just invite you to come be with the Lord if you're fearful. Don't be ashamed of that. Just come say, God, take this irrational fear from me. I'm tired of living in fear. I want to live and function with the mind of Christ. I want to have the power of love, uh, you know, power, love, and a sound mind. And I want to live that way. Help me to. He's going to help you. God doesn't want us to be timid, cowards, fearless, and unbelieving. Amen. Confess it to the Lord because I believe fear and unbelief is sin. Confess it to God. Be forgiven and be strengthened. Amen. Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, God. We do love You and we praise You. I want to thank You that first of all that we are born of Your Spirit and You're producing Christ in us. For whom God did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. You have not given us the spirit of fear again to bondage, or bondage again to fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. God, I pray we wouldn't be a fearful and timid people. we have a holy fear of God and we would walk and live. From this day forward, with the power of the mind of a power, love and a sound mind, that spirit would increase in us as our faith in you increases, God. Help us, Lord. Forgive us for our fear. Forgive us for our unbelief. Wash us in your blood in Jesus name. Thank you.